0: Welcome to IDD, Get to Know Me, a mental health podcast where nothing is off the table.
1: Wait, what does IDD mean?
0: IDD stands for Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities. You will hear from us, people with IDD, and experts on topics that are important to us and our mental health. I'm your host, Victor.
1: And I'm Daniel.
0: On this week's episode, we get to talk to Helen Reese. Helen Reese is a sister and one of the founders of the Sibling Collaborative.
1: The Sibling Collaborative is an organization focused on the experience of siblings of people with different kinds of disabilities and they've worked together with us at the Azrieli Center on many research projects and events.
0: It is a pleasure to have you today, Helen. How are you doing today?
2: Oh, I'm doing just fine. Thank you for inviting me to be here today. It's very exciting.
0: So Helen, you may not know this, but each episode we have an icebreaker question. Are you ready for the icebreaker question? I think so. Okay, would you rather be the funniest or the smartest person in the room?
2: Well, I think if this isn't cheating, I think what I would like to say is I don't want to be either. Because if you're the smartest or the funniest, it means that in some way you're attracting a lot of attention. And I hate attracting attention. So I'd like to just be quiet in the corner.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm going to say, for me, I'd have to say the funniest because I just like making yeah. people laugh. Um, but, yeah, I, I totally agree with also wanting to just not be the center of attention.
0: For me, I would rather be in the funniest in the room. You know, I love making people laugh. It's always been my superpower, and I always like to make people feel better.
1: And you do a great job of it. Okay. Um, now that we've broken the ice, uh, let's get into the episode. Um, it's great to have you here with us today, Helen. We're really looking forward to uh, to speaking with you and hearing about the sibling collaborative today.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: What was it like growing up for you as as someone who has a sibling with IDD?
2: Okay. Well, I get that question asked of me quite often, and um, it's a little bit tricky because I don't know what it would be like to grow up without a sibling who had an IDD. But I can take a guess at what I think the difference was or what the similarities were uh from the friends that i had um i think uh when i was younger um i my parents spent a lot of time um, working to make sure that my brother was included in community and that he had a lot of um of the same things that i had access to so my brother was probably one of the first generation where our parents uh made the choice for him to live in the community because at the time they were still doing a lot of institutionalization and it was actually what the doctor recommended to my mom and dad but they said no and they wanted him to live at home and live in the community but you can imagine that they were pioneers in a way and um, so there wasn't a lot available I remember them fighting for him to have music classes and the teacher not, not wanting to teach him or fighting for him to have access to the regular school system and, um, all those kinds of things. So, you know, I think that was really hard for my parents. I think they were under a lot of stress and, um, a lot of attention went to my brother. So I think I grew up trying to figure out a lot of things on my own. Um, and, uh, I carry that through into my adult years too I'm still the kind of person who always tries to figure things out on my own and then I think oh like I could have just asked that person they could have helped me or uh, help me figure it out so um, that was definitely uh, something that I felt influenced me um, I think it also made me um, less aware of differences so um you know we just accept that there are people um or that you know the world is made up of all kinds of different people and um that's that's a great thing so i knew that at a very young age when i got a bit older uh, i started to worry a lot about what was going to happen to my brother when my parents were no longer able to care for him Mm -hmm. and I hear of I hear about that a lot from other siblings too where they sort of have this moment or maybe perhaps it's a creeping worry where they're like oh you know geez what's gonna happen so I think that's something I mean that happens mostly in adulthood so it's not something growing up but I think it's something that you're aware of your whole life and then you know, as you get older, it gets closer and closer. And then, like I said, either you have an epiphany or you're like, oh, I better do something about that. Or perhaps it's like, it's a creeping concern um, that leads to some kind of action or something like that.
1: So so that's a good segue to our, our next question. Uh, now, Helen, we know that you started the Sibling Collaborative in response to your experiences as a sibling. Um, and just wondering, what are some of those experiences that, that led you to start this?
2: Oh, yeah. So very um, unfortunately, my parents uh, passed away one after the other, and they weren't very old. They were um, in their early 70s, so just 71 and 74. and Very passing- sorry to hear that. Oh, thank you. Um, it was quite a, quite a long time ago. Now. Um, it's been uh, almost 10 years since my dad passed away and, and just over six years since my mom passed away, but their passings, um, caught me by surprise. And, uh, I don't have a big family. So I think if you have more family, perhaps it's easier. I don't know, but, um, there's really just me and my husband. And so I remember going to developmental services and saying, ask for an, a meeting and saying, so, you know, um, my parents have passed away. Is there any kind of help you can give me? Is there anything that you do for, you know, siblings when they suddenly are caregivers? And their answer to me was like, well, just do what your mom and dad did. Like, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? Like my mom was a stay at home caregiver. Am I supposed to do that too? And like how it's a totally different relationship and we don't even, um, you know, share the same space. So it was just like a really unsatisfactory experience. And I just, I just was amazed at how little um, understanding and how little support there was for, um, you know, siblings who needed to take over the caregiving role. And then the other, the other experience which really shocked me was you had to go right away um, to the ODSP office and change over the name of the who whose uh, I guess I had to. It was my mom's name. I had to change it over to mine in at ODSP, and you can imagine how devastated we were to have lost our family member and the the woman in the ODSP office was just so inappropriate. She was so jolly and laughing and, you know, tr- I, I don't know, maybe she was just trying to make us feel better, but given the circumstances that we were in, it was a really um, inappropriate reaction for how we were feeling. And um, again, there was like no resources. Uh, and it, w- it just sort of compounded the stress of the experience and, and made me feel even worse. And so I guess the sibling collaborative emerged out of those kind of experiences where I'm like, I don't want anybody to feel this way again. Like this was just so, um, so hard. And uh, it, I don't think it, I mean, it's a hard transition in life but I don't think it has to be that hard.
1: Okay. And, and what is the exact goal of the sibling collaborative and like, why, why is it important?
2: So we, we want, Uh, siblings to be able to uh, support their brothers and sisters for long-term well-being, but for both of them. So for both the typically developed and um, disabled sibling. So we often think about uh, the sibling relationship as being um, in childhood only. But the truth of the matter is, it's, it's our longest relationship, and it does last over the life of both our lifetimes, and um, and so it's got the biggest impact, and and um, <clears throat> there's a lot of uh, weaving in and out over the over life and cross sections where siblings can support each other. So it's not a, only a one-way street. Like I find. Um, you know, in my relationship with my brother, there's many gifts and contributions he gives to, to me and my husband and our, our life together. So I should say that, um, uh, I chose to live with my brother after my mom passed away and I don't know if my brother would have chosen to live with me, (laughs) but it's the, um, it was the only option that we had at the time. And it's working out pretty well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the sibling collaborative is really focused on all aspects of well-being. So that includes mental health, uh, financial resources, through this COVID pandemic, um, understanding um, aspects of, of COVID, and and um, yeah, a whole host of things that come up um, in in that relationship and and like I said, the, the longevity of that relationship. Helen, mm-hmm. um,
0: what challenges did you have to face starting the sibling collaborative and do you still face some challenges with government or with other families as well?
2: Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great question. And that's like a really big question. So yes, yes, yes. We have like. There are lots of challenges. So you can imagine starting anything new um, is always a challenge, especially in um, the land, the funding landscape that we're in. And of course, um, uh, getting the attention of, I mean, the whole point of the sibling collaborative is to, we really want organizations to um, take the sibling experience seriously and to like build the sibling experience into any kind of programs that they may be running or um you know in government and any kind of policies that they're creating so i mean there's tons of amazing organizations that are already doing uh, excellent work and what we would love to see is for um them to open Open up what they're doing a little bit to include siblings. So, for example, if they're holding a workshop, let's say on, um, I don't know, RDSPs or something like that, that it they say, you know, they have a section where sibling they can uh, make it applicable to siblings. So, you know, getting the attention of uh, people of organizations and individuals and policymakers when it comes to the sibling journey is really challenge challenging. And I would have to say that our challenges are not they were not only at startup they're you know it's ongoing trying to figure out what does the sibling collaborative look like and where where do we belong. So um, I mean we have there are two amazing sibling organizations, one in the United States and one in the UK, they've both been around for 20 years. And the Sibling Collaborative has only been around for two or three. And in the United States, uh, the sibling leadership network is attached to a research institute and they and, and a university and you know they have a big infrastructure around them. And similar I think to um, SIBS UK and we don't have that. We're we're grassroots, uh, we don't have an infrastructure. And we're, we've been looking for a place to belong and um, where, you know, maybe ideally we wouldn't start from scratch that we would um, belong with another organization or with a research institute, something like that. So, so our challenges continue around like, who are we? Where do we belong? um, What, what, How do we get the attention of, uh, like I said, larger organizations or policymakers and even parents to know that this, the work about siblings is really, really important?
0: What are some of the benefits having a space like the Sibling Collaborative?
2: So I think. you know, some of the work that we've been doing with Israeli is uh, one of the huge benefits is we're doing research into what is the sibling journey? Like what what do siblings need? Um, what uh, What is that experience like? So the research is helping us to have a deeper understanding of the sibling experience. Um, and I think one of the other huge benefits is that siblings are connecting with each other. So a lot of parents, when their child receives a diagnosis, usually when they're, you know, maybe at birth or when they're young, parents start connecting with each other's right away. Whereas siblings don't connect with each other at all, usually until, you know, maybe there's a crisis or they're in their middle age. Um, So they don't have opportunities to learn from each other, to learn from each other's experiences. And I think that's the one of the major benefits of the Sibling Collaborative is that we get to learn from each other. So even though, you know, siblings come from all walks of life, they're all different ages, they all have um, different, uh, different lives, we have one, this element in common, which is having a sibling with a disability that really forms us. And, um, you know, often we have the same or similar questions and so the sibling collaborative allows um allows siblings to share those and to like i said to learn from each other so we have research we have um connecting with each other to share and then you know sometimes we have some special projects too so i'm very excited that right now we have a project that we're we're doing with Planned Lifetime Advocacy Network, which is in Vancouver, on financial stewardship. So how can siblings, um, you know, help ensure that their brothers and sisters with disabilities are not living in poverty? Um, And that's a very exciting project. That's about three years long, and we've just started that. And so, yeah, we wouldn't have, um, you know, that work wouldn't have been done if the Sibling Collaborative didn't exist.
1: Now, that's, uh, that's, that's great. And now we have to turn to the topic that uh, everyone has to talk about in every conversation these days. Um, (laughs) um, So I know the sibling collaborative existed prior to the pandemic. uh, But how has uh, the COVID-19 pandemic changed uh, what you do? Mm -hmm. If at all?
2: Yeah, I mean, it actually it changed us a lot and I would say probably for the positive. So like everything we went, we started doing a lot of activities online. So we had piloted some in-person meetups and in meet, uh, meetups are a particularly valuable um, activity you know, that whole piece around learning and sharing experiences that happens a lot through meetups. And so we piloted some in-person meetups. And there was a lot of infrastructure and sort of a lot of, um, you know, details around an in-person meetup. And what we did is we moved our meetups online. So we've been hosting meetups every two weeks um, since the pandemic started. They're full every week, and I'm really excited um to say that this uh this week or actually next week we're gonna be starting to host some meetups in french too so we've um, been able to move our meetups online and because they're online we're not restricted geographically so we usually attract siblings from coast to coast to coast Um, and like i said now we're going to be be able to serve the francophone community too so that's been really exciting um and I think we're going to keep that going even when the pandemic's over because it's just like a really neat way to connect. Um, similarly, we did some training for uh, meetup facilitators and that was online. So, moving online has just been able to help us expand our reach and given access to folks who might not normally be able to access this, the programs for the Sibling Collaborative. So, it's been Good that way. We also had a chance with Israeli to do a little bit of more research. Um, we wanted to know what the sibling experience of COVID, what COVID was. Um, so it was good to be able to do that uh, that work as well, give us some new insights and uh, understanding. Excellent. We thought earlier about some of the
0: challenges in developing the Sibling Collaborative. Can you tell me a little bit about how you overcome these challenges and the strengths that siblings have brought to these challenges?
2: Hmm, yeah, so, um, so I guess One of the bigger challenges that we've had was, um, you know, funding, trying to figure out how are we going to fund the Sibling Collaborative moving forward. And the Sibling Collaborative has been really lucky because we've had two very important partners, informal partnerships, um, uh, that have really helped us and supported us um, and that would be, uh, the center for addiction, and mental health. So the Israeli center, they have Dr. Yona Lenski has always been there and always, um, been interested in the work and contributed to the work of the sibling collaborative. And as I'm sure, you know, she's very strong and very, um, has a lot of great ideas. And so. without uh, CAMH and Dr. Lenski, we might not have been able to move forward. So there's that partnership. And then also um, we have Planned Lifetime Advocacy Network, which um, is a national organization and they're located in Vancouver and they've always been interested in the sibling experience. So even before the sibling collaborative existed, they were um, asking me to do some work around uh, the sibling experience so they have also been super super supportive in fact the the funding that we recently received for that financial project i was telling you about is actually through planned lifetime advocacy network they're they're an organization that's been around for 30 years Um, they really know uh, what's going on and are very well connected and they um, continue to support our work. So I guess the the big challenge has been around funding and you know having that support and we've overcome it through uh, our partnerships. And then I think you know I, um, it's your question was like, what are some of the challenges that you have faced? So I was thinking about my experience personally and. You know, I am suddenly finding myself um, running this nonprofit, and we are gaining steam. And I'm thinking, oh, that wasn't really part of my my plan. <laughs> I didn't have that in my uh, you know agenda for my life um, because I am. I do a, I have my own consulting practice on the side and I'm taking care of my brother so I'm already quite busy. Um, so that's been really challenging as well. Uh, not really sure how I fit into this whole picture. And um, through the financial project that we got, we have some money to hire a program lead. So we are looking right now for somebody who could possibly be the program lead. And that you know their leadership um, could help to to take the sibling collaborative uh, further into the future. The other thing that we want to do, and we we are going to we're going to do this through our financial project, but and that's to work with siblings who have disabilities and ask them what do they want from their sibling in that relationship. So so far we've never actually asked people with disabilities like what do you want from your sibling? Like, how can your sibling best support you? So that's, you know, definitely uh, something that I want to move forward. And and again, like, you know, finding a place where we we really belong.
1: Okay, so the sibling collaborative sounds like a really important resource. And I'm wondering if any of our listeners wanted to get involved, how would they do that?
2: Yeah, so we have a website. It's called um, Sibcolab, S I B C O L L A B dot C A. And so you can find all our resources on our website. And we send out a newsletter maybe once every quarter, so four times a year, um, to keep if you want to know what we're doing. But we also have an online closed group so it's for siblings only and we're really really um, strict about that Um, so it's a it's a safe space for siblings to talk and to share what they're experiencing what they need help for help with Um, and i also told you about the meetups and we're in the fall we're going to be running some peer one-to-one peer support uh, mentoring Um, and we are going to be creating some resource guides, which will be available on our website. And then I also uh, wanted to say that we have lots of opportunities to get involved through this financial project. So we're going to be doing, um, you know, surveys, and we're going to be working with uh, different siblings, we hope, to let us know how they want to... Um, best learn online Um, so we have lots of things bubbling and the best way to stay on top of it all is uh, you know connecting on social media and also through our newsletter and we try to do our best to keep everybody informed so that's uh, that's probably the best way to do it we're a national organization so we try to um, serve siblings all across Canada. So most of our stuff is virtual and probably stay that way even after the pandemic.
0: Helen, for mm-hmm. any sibling that may be listening, what is some advice or something you would like to tell everyone?
2: Hmm. So I guess my advice would be there's there's two pieces or maybe three pieces of advice that I w- would like to give. One is to connect with other siblings. So I learned so much by connecting with other siblings. And very unfortunately, I didn't do that until I was in crisis, which is um, usually quite typical. So connect with other siblings before, um, before you end up like me and end up in a crisis. So that's the first thing that I would advise. And it'd be best if you did that through the sibling collaborative, because that's where right now all the siblings are Are concentrated and then the other piece is to have conversations with parents your parents Um, you know I don't think I ever really did that I think I um, maybe I didn't want to hear what my parents had to say or maybe my parents didn't want to talk to me about what was gonna happen when they passed away Um, those are really hard conversations and they're very very emotional but if you can start them in some way I think you'll be better off for it and I think the other piece of piece of advice for siblings is to not let go of your own dreams for your life. Um, I, I hear that from a lot of siblings. Um, that, you know, you need to take care of yourself and follow your own dreams, um, and uh, and do that first um, before you start worrying about what's going to happen when your parents pass away.
1: Thanks very much, Helen. Uh, Was there anything else you wanted to add today?
2: Yeah, actually, I wanted to add that the sibling collaborative is also for sibling in laws, or any kind of second generation caregiver. So for example, um, in some families, it might be a cousin, or um, some other relative who takes over care of Um, the person who has a disability when the primary caregivers are no longer able to care. So we wanted to say that um, those folks are uh, welcome and invited to join the sibling collaborative as well. We think they're uh, a really important part of um, our work too.
1: Okay, so it doesn't have to just be siblings, but just sort of a, a family member that's sort of in the same kind of age yeah. group who's been t- kind of put into that role. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Excellent. we call them,
2: we say second, we've been using the word second generation caregiver.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. And thank you so much to Helen for joining us to talk about the sibling collaborative today.
2: Thank you, thank you for having me.
1: This podcast is brought to you by the Azrieli Adult Neurodevelopmental Center at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto, Canada. We would like to thank our producers, Katie Cardiff and Irfan Jiwa, for helping to keep us organized and for all the behind the scenes work that they do.